everybody to Missy Hyatt's favorite podcast out there. Oh, it's us here at the Breaking Cafe with Byron and Barry, episode 208. Do you know what that means, oh Lord Barrents? 208. That is the the cruiserweight limit for the WWE. If I was going for the title, would that be correct? That is correct. And it is also the four years, four year what? anniversary of Breaking K Fable with Bowdrin and Barry, the three best friends you didn't know that you had myself, Lord Barron's, Mr. Barry Rose, and the man we now call Scam Likely. <laughs> that shirt coming soon. Scam Likely, Lou Kippelman, uh, joining us uh, occasionally. And we appreciate all his efforts. So, Barry, we've got a jam-packed episode. Oh, dare I say this may not be an, a one-hour episode because we've got lots to talk about. Amongst everything else, we're going to talk a little AEW Dynamite from last week. Oh. Uh, give our thoughts on that. We are going to be talking about, oh, let's see. Oh, we're going to have a guest appearance from second-time guest and friend of the show, women's wrestling legend Judy Martin, one half of the Glamour Gals, returns for her second appearance. We're going to feature a little CAC talk from uh, our boy Roy Lucier, king of the cats in South Florida, and scam lively Lou Kippelman will be discussing the events in Vegas. But first, Barry, before we get to all that, we're going to get to our match of the week. So I have to explain something to the listening public. I've been going back recently and listening uh, to some of the old episodes. Uh, details forthcoming, Barry, as to why I'm doing that. Mm. But... I happened to listen to episode three with friend of the show and my longtime old friend, John Hitchcock. I call him Johnny Hitch. And in episode three, John and I were reviewing uh, some matches from my top 100 list, as Barry and I did in the early uh, parts of our show, back in the day, as they say, Bear. And so I uh, and, and uh, John were talking about some of the top 100 matches. And one of the matches we mentioned Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. A legendary match, uh, especially in the WWE. Uh, a lot of people, when you talk about their favorite matches of all time, they will reference this match because, uh, you know, it was on such a big stage. So as I was listening to my conversation uh, about this particular match, I threw it to John for some comments, and I noticed I, we really didn't talk about the match. John got a little off topic. He's a great storyteller. And he had a great story to tell, but it had nothing to do with the match. And so I reached out to uh, his lordship and I said, hey, you know, uh, why don't we talk about this match since we really never talked about it on episode, I guess it was two or three. And Lord Barron said, I love that match. Of course, I'm willing to talk about that. Would that be fair to say, Bear? That was exactly what I said to you, Jeff, actually. I yes. have a photographic memory for some things. Ask me what I had for dinner last night. I can't remember. So, right away, Barry, why don't we go to March 29th, 1987, the Pontiac, Michigan Silverdome. Not there anymore, by the way. That's true. WrestleMania 3, we got Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura on the call. By the way, they both did a great job because I just watched the match like literally an hour ago. Uh, a great call of the match. Barry, tell the folks what you thought of this match, which was in my top 100 of the 1980s. I get goosebumps when I think about this match. and oh, I, I when you're talking about me or something, but yeah, well, you too. And sweet low, as a matter of fact, when I hear sweet Lou's dulcet, Scam likely Kippelman, that's what we call him. Likely. If Lou comes on and starts to rap one day after we've been calling him scam lightly, I'm going <laughs> to my shit literally, but this is such a good match. And th this is 
I don't want to say we were innocent at that stage because that 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 certainly wasn't it. But you know, it, the WWF was producing a lot of content that neither one of us liked at this stage. And currently, I should say, in thirty years later, thirty-five years later, still are. But there was so much negative content of stuff that I didn't care about. And then you get a match with two guys, two of the best workers in the history of the business. And while the match is not, you know, I, I think it's like 16, 17 minutes. It's a, it's a, a relatively short match, all things considered. It's epic. It's epic on every level. And what I like about it is, and I don't remember the rest of the card of that WrestleMania. I'm sure I saw it, but I remember you know, I remember even the WrestleMania that I was at in person. I remember two of the matches that took place, and I don't remember anything else because the rest, at least for me, was garbage. And with WrestleMania, you know, I would look at a lot of these matches. Obviously, I wasn't a fan of, of the of Hulk Hogan's wrestling style. You know, so it was I didn't want to watch a Hulk Hogan. Uh, I don't know who he faced here. King Kong Bundy, Kamala. I have no idea. Uh, it was but- Andre. Was it? Oh, that I, I absolutely did watch. Well, I watched for that match, I got to say, also then. But but not a good match. I think we can safely say, certainly. And, uh, you know, Andre at this point was on his last legs for the most part. So not a great match. But this match was the kind of match you get and you go, holy cow, you knew you just witnessed greatness. And the cool thing about this match, Jeff, as I watched this match and and they go through all their great spots and they were really so good for each other, you know, with everything else that was going on with giants and clowns and all this other stuff that was out there, you had two guys that were essentially quote unquote wrestlers. So you had two guys that were super evenly matched. And as I'm watching this match and I I remember the build up to this match with uh, Savage coming off the top rope onto the throat of steamboat and all this stuff and the drama involved with it. I had the the one thought that goes through my head was, unfortunately, in wrestling, politics, politics screwed Ricky Steamboat. You know, and when you stop and you look at it, it wasn't bad for him because he went and he made a lot of money in the WWF. But Ricky wasn't one of Dusty Rhodes's guys, and he wound up leaving Crockett. Huge mistake on every level. And oh, there you go. And uh, I guess your laundry's done there. I was going to say, could you tell what that was? <laughs> laundry's done. And yeah, I, I do the laundry in the studio, Jeff, go figure. The, and palatial. the palatial studio. And, uh, and I sent you a photo, by the way, Jeff, you'll, you I did see that. that. Thank you. Yeah. And we could talk about that, but it was as I'm watching this match and as I watch the ending and, and I, I, I like everything about this match, what if steamboat had stayed in Crockett and what if, what if Savage had come in and what if you could have had a months long feud between these two guys? in a company that valued professional wrestling as opposed to sports entertainment. As great as this match was, and I got to say, because I do think this match hits the level of greatness, further research, apparently a lot of professional wrestlers who were kids watched this match, and this was the catalyst for them getting into the business. That's the I will bring up one of those names. Please, please. Well, one of our old friends, uh, a man near and dear to our hearts, the Punisher, the original Blackheart, Tom Nash, uh, uh-huh. stated that this match, when he saw it, it was the best match he's ever seen. Uh, I believe he still stands by that. And, uh, you know, you have to, well, I mean, you know, Tommy got, got into wrestling literally, if he wasn't already in in 1987, within a year, he would have gotten into it. And 
you know, right. think about guys that, uh, you know, at that time of the business that were getting in, this match had to have a huge influence on them. Yeah, it, it absolutely did too. But I, I like, and there was a bunch of names that were, were mentioned, of course, uh, with all the melatonin I took last night, Jeff, I, uh, I don't remember. I, I doubled whatever the, ex- I, the recommended I will say, was. as a side note, we need to get melatonin as a sponsor for this fine podcast. Yes, because, we do. Yeah. You yes, and I uh, currently, I believe are both under the influence. We'll get to that story later in the podcast. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's actually a great idea, but, but it was on every level, this match succeeds. And I got to say the WWF did a, a really good job of the storyline of building this and then putting these two guys out there to have a, have this kind of match. What I am curious about is who were the agents involved and, and who worked with them to make this match so great? You know, was it a Pat Patterson or a Jerry Briscoe, one of the, the old timers that were there at that time? Because it, it a really question perhaps for uh, Mr. Briscoe at the upcoming CWF Legends Fan Fest Bear. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we should say we are trying to get Jerry to come on the podcast, too. He doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. Yeah, he has his own podcast. He's uh, doing a show with JBL. Is uh, it Peabody and Sherman award winning, though? I think no, it's not. not. It's not. It's uh, he does it because I think JBL is is little legit like his best friend. But uh, but I did mention to him about our podcast when I saw him last week. I said, have you ever heard of it? He says he has. I, I don't know if that's being polite or reality, <laughs> but, but at the same time, you know what? Great guy that we would love to have on, but I would be curious and I'd be curious to hear his thoughts on this match as well. Wow. There's a, a lot to take in here. Uh, first of all, I'm assuming you feel, uh, since we used to use this standard, this match still holds up. It beyond holds up. Absolutely. Yes, and it absolutely belonged yeah. in the top 100 and, you know, a case could be made that this should have been in my top 20. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. So let's get to the good stuff. First of all, the angle uh, that they, they did to shoot this match, uh, you know, with uh, the, the ring bell across the throat and Savage jumping off the top rope down to the floor across uh, Steamboat's, uh, uh, the larynx. They, he bruised his larynx. And everything they did, and I remember them carrying uh, Steamboat back to the back on the stretcher, wasn't that the time when when Bruno went to uh, interview Savage and started calling you piece of slime, you piece of slime, and like started attacking him? And that's the way they they uh, had Bruno face off with Savage, I think, in a few matches leading I think up to this. So, yeah. yeah, great stuff. Yeah. And uh, so then, um, and then of course they did the interview with a doctor. I don't know if it was a Doctor Onabla or who the guy was. And it's it's great because if you remember, and this was in the clip that I sent you, Barry, the doctor is standing in front of an X-ray. I don't know why he has an x-ray up because nothing that happened to Ricky Steamboat. It wasn't like, oh, he had a broken arm. Here you can see the x-ray. He had a, a bruised larynx. And, and, you know, so, but they have an x-ray of some guy's chest in the background, which I think is pretty funny. And, and uh, Gene Okerlund saying that the, the reason Ricky Steamboat is making such a rapid recovery is because of his strong heart. And then uh, I think it was Jesse Ventura said it didn't have anything to do with his heart. You know, it was his larynx. And, uh, but it was, it was just, it was so great the way they, they shot the angle and, and did all the skits uh, about Ricky's update. And, you know, he, and whenever Ricky would do an interview, he would whisper, I'm coming for you, Randy Savage. It was just really brilliantly done. So we get to the match. And as I said, uh, Monsoon and Ventura, fantastic on the call of the match. And, and I loved how Ventura would try to put logic into things. Uh, as Monsoon would say, you know, like, uh, 
Oh, uh, Randy Savage is cheating there. Well, how come you didn't mention that when Steamboat was on? That was different. That was different. You know, he would always put Monsoon on the spot. And this is like Barry said, maybe 15 minutes of, of total mat action. Never stops. There's, you know, nothing. Yeah. No, nobody's putting anybody in a headlock and, and working the headlock for five minutes. This is just nonstop action. So, Barry, let me ask you about something that I think back in the day, and I'm, I'm trying to recall something I wrote 31 years ago, 32 years ago at this point. Do you think that one of the negatives towards this match, and I believe when we had Ricky Steamboat at the uh, CWF Legends Fan Fest, we addressed this particular topic with him. Do you think the match, as great as it is, that you have to take away something from it because the match was essentially scripted literally second by second, move by move? Do you think that takes away from the match? I, I, I think to the, the outsider, no. I, I, because I, I, and I get, I get what you're getting at. And, you know, in the old days, nobody ever did that. That, no. you know, all these guys would wrestle five to seven times per week and they, they would have a brief conversation in a locker room, go out and have these amazing matches. I think some people would say yes. From my perspective, I would absolutely say no because I'm a consumer and you have delivered in my opinion, the best product possible to me. So I don't really have an issue with that. And and here's the other thing. You know, a guy like Diamond Dallas Page, he, he caught a lot of a lot of flack over the years because all of his matches apparently were laid out move by move. And that I think was done to protect him as a professional wrestler. Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat could have gone out with blindfolds and probably still had this fucking four-star classic. The idea by going move by move was just making it literally one of the greatest matches of all time. So if it was somebody else, I might say yes to that question. Based off the participants, I would say no, it doesn't matter. Well, and you know, and I think honestly, that's a fair point. But like, you know, if Randy Savage was having a match with, I'll George give an Steel. example. George Steele. George Steele or like, you know, the WrestleMania before when Piper had a match with Mr. T, okay? Yes. If Roddy Piper was facing Mr. T, someone who wasn't a wrestler, or someone like you said, George Steele, who was limited, then I could completely understand Randy sure. Savage wanting to script everything out so we know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, uh, you know, the spot we're going to be in. That I would have totally understood. But he's he's wrestling Ricky Steamboat. I mean, he's wrestling the greatest baby face of a generation in the ring, I'm, I'm not including Hogan, of course, but I don't understand other than the fact, and I will offer up this point that they're on the biggest stage, arguably in wrestling history at that point. Okay. Uh, not just from the, the crowd there and the uh, silver dome and whether it was 93,000, like Vince said it was, or, you know, 78,000, like other people said it was based on the amount of tickets sold. It was an incredibly big stage besides all the people that are watching on pay-per-view. So I could understand if Randy Savage had an idea that he wanted to have maybe the greatest match of his career and the greatest match of Ricky Steamboat's career, that they'd want to plot out certain things. But to do literally the entire match, and Ricky Steamboat told they had a notebook full of these different moves. And like to the point where Randy Savage would ask Ricky Steamboat just to test him, what happens on move 129? And Ricky Steamboat had to memorize, oh, that's the spot where I do this. And then Ricky Steamboat would go, okay, Randy, what happens on move 71? And Randy Savage goes, oh, that's where I would do this. They literally sat down 
at Randy Savage's behest and plotted out the entire match move by move. Every second of the match was plotted out in a notebook. That's one of the things I remember Ricky Steamboat told us. And to me, I think it it detracts from the match a little bit because I, maybe if I never knew that, maybe maybe it wouldn't matter and I would have had this in the top 20. But the fact that they do that, it I'm sorry, it detracts from the match a little bit for me. And it takes nothing away from, number one, it was a great match. Number two, both these guys, incredible talents, incredible wrestlers. I have no problem with either one of these guys. I don't think they needed to do that. Like you said, you could have put a, they could have had the Kevin Sullivan Prince of Darkness match where they wrestled blindfolded. That was a terrible gimmick, by the way. And they would have had a four-star match because these guys are so great, you know? And, uh, you know, it takes away a little bit from the match. Now, that being said, this absolutely was still a top 100 match of the decade. But what I'm saying is if they had just gone out there and, as I, I like to say, free-formed it and just called it in the ring, maybe I would have said, this is a top 10 match of the decade. You know, maybe I would have had that point of view. I don't know. So, you know, wh- when I was doing the callback, I-, I don't want to forget to mention this, Barry. You know, we, we talk about movies all the time. Uh, uh, have you ever seen the James Stewart movie? <laughs> this is going to be a really weird callback. But I'm going to bring it back to this uh, this Savage and Steamboat match. You ever see the movie with James Stewart, the FBI story? I don't believe I have. Okay, a classic James Stewart movie from the late okay. 50s uh, where they basically go through the history of the FBI. It's on TCM all the time. And uh, a very whitewashed version of uh, the origins of the FBI, by the way. But there's a line in the movie where they're talking about catching this one particular criminal. And one of the things that Jimmy Stewart, uh, who's narrating it, says – a mistake was made. And as far as going back and looking at my top 100 of the decade and realizing that John Hitchcock and I, in discussing this match, never actually got around to talking about the match, I feel like, to quote James Stewart, a mistake was made. And so that's why Barry and I did the callback on this match and wanted to discuss it because it was a great match. It yep. was definitely a top 100 of the 80s and a very uh, definitely a superior match. Definitely uh, in the eyes of Ricky Steamboat, they went out to steal the uh, steal the show from Hogan and Andre. Uh, I don't think there's much question they did. As iconic as as Hogan pinning Andre was, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any question that Steamboat and, and Savage, even with the help of George the Animal Steel, you know, stole the show that day in Pontiac, Michigan. So Barry, here on our four year anniversary, we wanted to have some celebrities on to wish us well. Uh, we reached out to, I, I think you told me you reached out to uh, the Hulkster, uh, yes. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes. Uh, we reached out to, uh, you know, Roman Reigns, that's uh, some other people. Kenny Omega, I think. Yeah, that's It right. all uh, had other things to do. Uh, Missy Hyatt, surprisingly unavailable <laughs> to us. But, oh, Barry, it's the great Brian Last joining us here. Probably at this point, a little disgusted with his Mets. Probably wants to bitch at me about Javi Baez doing something wrong. TGBL. Thank you so much for joining us here on our fourth anniversary. Well, thanks for having me. I hope you guys can hear me. I'm having a big party over here. It's me and Missy and Roman and Omega and everyone <laughs> who couldn't be there. We're just having a blast celebrating breaking kayfabe four years. And boy, does time fly. Yes, Four indeed. years. Wow. Well, I'm sure that uh, the fact that you're having a party that includes Kenny Omega, uh, Jimmy uh, Cornette will have something to say to you about that. Uh, but anyway, so uh, uh, Brian, your thoughts, four years of breaking kayfabe about Jim Barry. It's amazing. Like I just said, until you actually say it's four years, it's it's hard to sit down and realize it. And it's a lot of shows and it's a lot of time. And I'm just so happy that so many people love this show. And I remember 
when I first talked to you about it, because it seemed to me an obvious that you were a show host. You have the personality for it. I mean, for those of you who don't know Jeff, he's a bit of a big mouth. What? He has a lot to say uh, all the time. And I think you have done so well with this show. And you and Barry have a chemistry that people would pay for. And uh, you should find out how much they'll pay it and see if you can sell some of it. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, now don't do a Patreon episode occasionally. <laughs> but uh, no, it's a real kick, and I'm really proud of this show. And uh, I think the real testament to the strength of the show and the importance of the show is just how many people each and every week wait for it and live by it and love it and feel like in the last four years, you and Barry have not only come into their houses, but have become part of their family part of their friends, a brothership to steal a term. Well, and uh, I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, 208 episodes, Brian, and, you know, here we talk about today on today's episode, we not only talked about AEW, a little WWE talk, we uh, did a little old school WWE and we talked about Claudia Jennings movie. Uh, a fan of Claudia Jennings movies, are you, Brian? Uh, I don't, what movie did you talk about? Uh, we talked about uh, her classic film, Unholy Rollers, uh, which was about roller derby, uh, but a former Playboy playmate. What is this the voice year? you're doing? What is this? Well, a former yeah. Playboy playmate. It's <laughs> my, my <laughs> Arcadian broadcasting voice. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So uh, well, my, my point is the reason that we are so beloved, the reason we have close to, uh, much like Dave Penzer, a million downloads every a week. A million. Is because we don't just bury. Stick we to don't wrestling. just stick to wrestling. See what we did there, uh, Brian? Well, hold on now. He says he has a million downloads. A, a, how long? A week? Is it every week Pinzer has a million downloads? <laughs> I he's got, it's a different story every time we talk, but he's he, it's something, it's some sort of number that's completely illogical on every level. So, yes. I, I think he had a guy that wrestled indies uh, for, in Florida during the early 80s, but that was a million downloads because people were dying to hear that story. So, uh, but Brian, once again, we want to thank you for joining us. Are, are you still bitter about the Javi Baez trade? I don't know how to feel about it, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's different, but it's similar to like Dave Kingman in that he would strike out and he would annoy you. And then he would just hit monster home runs and you'd go, wow, I get it. Kong, I get it. Yes. With Baez, it's not exactly the same because it's not home runs, but he frustrates the hell out of you when he swings at shit that's nowhere near the plate. And then he hits a home run that looks magnificent right off the bat. I mean, what a home run swing he has. Because he swings for a home run every time he's up. And, and, and his defensive uh, ability. Which, you know, it's weird. I read something the other day that he's had like something like 23 errors this season, which is like, I think, three times the number he's normally had during a season. But defensively, he's just a great defensive player. Makes him his base stealing where he like puts one arm out to hit the bag. Then he pulls it back at the last second to avoid the tag. That. He's done yes. that at least three times already yeah. with the Mets, including at home plate. And it's the most magnificent thing I've ever seen. You think, wow, I've, I've never seen that before. I'll, I've never seen that before. I'm saying it correctly. I'll never see it again. And then he does it again a few games later. And that's the frustrating thing is magnificent on the base paths. That's why he has an El Mago nickname. Yeah, very, very intelligent, very smart, very baseball sound. You know, yeah. with the exception now, of, but, as you said, swimming, swinging at anything. But you bring up the errors again. Remember, with the Mets, they moved him to a new position. Yeah, he's playing second base now. So it's a little bit, even though he's playing with his buddy Lindor, it's still a transition to a new position. Yeah. Going to be very interesting to see what happens when he hits the free agency at the end of the season. 
So anyway, Brian, hey, hold on, hold on, hold okay. on. We're talking baseball. We're talking Mets. Hey, Barry, have you ever talked about the New York Mets at all? Because you were in New York when they were winning, weren't you? I was. We. I've never. So, uh, Brian, you're going to hate me. I was a Yankee fan. So. Oh, oh, fuck. Next week, join Breaking Kayfabe with Dowdron <laughs> and Hitchcock right here on the Arcadian <laughs> Vanguard Podcast Network. Barry's uh, exclusive uh, Arcadian contract will be revoked. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let me get my lawyer on speed dial right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> Do it, Chicken How. Yes, indeed. So. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully, four more glorious years here at Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Now, Barry, let's move along. Let's talk about a little ooh, current wrestling. What? Both you and I had a chance to watch AEW's Dynamite the other night. I believe they called it the Grand Slam or something like that. They're at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And by the way, the crowd. Ooh, they were lit, Barry. What'd you think of the show? I fucking loved it. I I gotta tell you, I'm such and and this obviously will uh, will probably infuriate some people, and because there's been a lot of heated discussion, certainly within our group, but all over social media for AEW. I am a professional wrestling fan. I have been. This is my 50th year this month, in the month of September, since I was a little kid. I was uh, almost seven years old when my dad took me to my first card. So I've seen within those 50 years, good, bad, and ugly. We've seen it all. Jeff, we have, you've written two books. We've got a podcast. We've done newsletters. Uh, we're almost the, the kings of all media, except we haven't conquered television yet. But that's coming, I'm sure. Hey, it's on the eventually, docket. Eventually. Yes. So with that, there is nothing that is perfect. When it comes to professional wrestling, even when I was a kid at CWF, there were missteps. Why? Because you can't fire on all cylinders and be perfect all the time. There are going to be things that don't work out that maybe look great on paper or an idea that seems great, and then it doesn't work out. And I love the fact that AEW is on television. I like the fact that we can turn on Wednesday nights that I can, I won't speak that I can turn on on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. And there's going to be the show that's going to feature fantastic professional wrestling. Yeah. There's always some dumb stuff thrown in there, but I got news for you. There's always been dumb stuff in professional wrestling. It's nothing new. I'm not an, I don't want to become an AEW defender yet. I feel that's, that's what I am at this stage, but it's what I like. And by the same token, you know, if I liked pineapple on pizza, which God forbid will never happen, Ugh. Jeff. But if I did, I would sit here and tell you why. And I would sit here and tell you, I don't care if you hate it. I like it. And with AEW, it's the same thing. People that don't like it, in some ways, I feel bad for them because I'm having so much fucking fun watching it. And the fact that people can't get it. Yes, there are flaws. And there were some great points made about Kenny Omega in our group this week. And, and that I liked because instead of saying jazz hand sucks, which we still get <coughs> Ryan Damon <coughs> still get that at times, Jeff, there were some people, and I think it was Jason D'Agostino was breaking down what he likes about Kenny Omega, what he doesn't like. But the consensus was from every comment that I read, he really fucking stepped up to the game and had an amazing match this past Wednesday night with Brian Danielson. And that's so accurate. And that some good points are made, Jeff, that Kenny may have been underwhelming thus far in AEW. And I think you and I would probably both agree with that. He has not been 
what we saw in Japan, it hasn't completely translated over here. That being said, there were comments on, not in our group, and it might have been Cult of Cornet Facebook group, on Thursday morning, and I'm not making this up, and, and this could be a troll because it almost seems like, they, how could this exist? A guy said, thank God they got that Kenny Omega Danielson shit out of the way early so I could enjoy seeing Sting wrestle and Brian Pillman Jr.'s match. <laughs> and I, so I, I was, here I am, I'm sitting there, I start typing up a response and then I'm like, what are you doing? You know, fucking just walk away, which I did. But it becomes infuriating. And I, I got to say, I love the show. Were there faults? Absolutely. I, Brian Pillman Jr. is not quite ready for any sort of big push yet. And I think at least that was clear to me on the other night. Match was decent. His interview skills, I think that's where he's lacking. But he'll find his way. I think he's absolutely on his way. Sting for a 61-year-old man, was, was good, but let's not lose you know, the fact that he's 61 years old and is wrestling as a guy probably in his mid-50s. I'll, I'll cut him slack on a few years. With that, I still enjoyed the match. That still wasn't an issue for me. There wasn't anything on that show that I probably didn't like. Some stuff I loved more, but as a wrestling fan, I loved it all. And thank you to AEW for putting on a great show. I will tell you my favorites uh, was the Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson match. It was bookends. And then it was Britt Baker, Ruby Soho. And I said this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If we're going to say her name, Barry, we have oh, to say. I'm sorry. Dr. Britt Baker. D. D. -M -D. Thank I you. fucking love that. And I told you this yesterday. And I said, Jeff, if this was the mid-70s, I would have a letter in the mail offering to run Britt Baker's fan club. I'm such a fan. She hits on every level. Her matches are good. Her interviews are good. She carries herself as a champion. I don't feel that she's lacking in any area. I think as a wrestler, she's going to continue to get better. But this is a star in the making. I believe still in the making. I am a huge fan, but I love the show. It was a lot of fun. I, I like everybody involved uh, with that show, and I'm super excited for the show tonight, Jeff. Okay, so before, and we're recording on Friday. Uh, that's what Barry means by that. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, before I tell you my thoughts and uh, the people that I'm uh, a fan of, Barry and I were talking the other day, and I brought up a comparison on Kenny Omega, and so let's talk about that comparison. Someone compared Kenny Omega to Triple H. And the comparison was more not, not like the whole influence on the company thing, though I'm, I'm pretty obviously Kenny Omega has some influence on the company, but it was more Triple H was known as, quote, a big, uh, the big uh, show wrestler, like, like in the fact that when it's like WrestleMania or, uh, you know, the Royal, that he was, that's when he really stepped his game up. So you and I talked about it. Let's discuss it here for the folks. <laughs> Do you think that's a fair comparison? <sighs> And we, and we did talk about this uh, it, in some ways, the way that you laid it out right there, then there are points where it is a fair comparison that triple H would step it up for a big match. Yes. Is, are there, can you correlate that in any other way? I don't think so. I don't think triple H ever had the quality of matches 
as spectacular as, say, Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson had the other night. And he's had good matches, don't get me wrong. And I'm not a Triple H hater. Uh, you know, I know that that exists as well. That's that's not it. I think you're talking wrestling at a different level of what we saw the other night versus anything Triple H has done. But with that, the way you just laid it out, yeah, Triple H did get up for the big matches. And the other ones, he did appear to be going through the motions or not putting forth as much effort. So I do agree with that, yes. Okay. So that's uh, that's fair, and I just uh, wanted to bring it up. I loved the Danielson match with uh, with Kenny Omega. I thought the crowd was somebody I saw on Twitter. I don't know who it was said, and maybe it was something that Jim Ross said. The people were losing their minds before they even locked up. Yeah, and that was you know very fair. The crowd, you know, Barry and I when we talk about great matches of the past you know, or, or the present, we, we talk about how much the crowd can play a role in someone enjoying the match. And the people in New York at Arthur Ashe Stadium, they definitely stepped it up and, you know, were uh, part of the show, if you will, in a good way, not in a, uh, you know, wanting to overtake, you know, what was going on in the ring, but they were, you know, they were cheering at the appropriate times. They were popping for the the big moves. I like the fact that this wasn't a match where it was like someone pulled out brass knucks to win. Uh, you know, this was just a straight friggin' pure wrestling match and everything that that means in a good way. And, you know, uh, I like, I didn't like this guy when he first started appearing, but Don Callis is doing, a, is there a better manager working in the business town than Don Callis? I'd be hard pressed to tell you the name yeah. of three other managers. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, I but, mean, well, the yes, guy first of all exactly. comes out in the pink suit, you know, so he makes himself a target. But you know, he's just very effective in the role, you know. And very. I'm sure that's because he and Kenny Omega have been friends for years, and maybe that's what got him the job. But you know, there's one. It's one thing to get the job, and another thing to get the job and do a great job after you get it. And he's done that. Uh, you know, Brian Danielson, we've reviewed at least one of his matches uh, on our match of the week, but I'm not somebody that has watched every Brian Danielson match that's ever been out there, whether he was Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan or whatever. But yeah, man, he's he's fucking awesome. And and holy shit, did you see his chest like about oh. five minutes into the match? It was yeah. like hamburger, you know, I mean, it was pretty brutal looking. All I kept thinking was, wow, when that guy gets back to the locker room and takes a shower, that shit is going to sting something fierce. The match was just great. A lot of people complained. So let me get your thoughts on this. Was it the right decision to make it a draw? Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Uh, Not even a question. And I can't understand people that, oh, why didn't they have Danielson pin him? It's too predictable also. Of course. Not only that, you, you have a guy from the WWE that comes in, and on the first night against your world champion, he pins him? Like, right. what the fuck does that make AEW look like? Come on, people. Use your head. And not only that. And I saw somebody else mention this on Twitter uh, and they asked, I think it was Melter. They asked, would it be a good idea to have these guys on your pay-per-view do a 60 minute Iron Man match? Like uh, Bret Hart did with Shawn Michaels, uh, what, 23 years ago, 24 years ago. And Melter said, I'm really not a fan of Iron Man matches, but in this case, that would be a really good idea. And they both do a great job. So that's just something to think I'll, about. I'll tell you what I would like, Jeff. So years ago, and I would use this, and obviously I've talked about Billy Robinson being my favorite of all time. So Billy Robinson worked with Terry Funk in, uh, in Tampa and they had three matches and I, this is a huge regret. You know, obviously I'm looking at something 
45, 46 years later. And I never knew about this up until, you know, years later. But Billy Robinson challenged Terry Funk for the NWA world title. So you've got my favorite wrestler of all time versus my second favorite of all time. Jumbo Saruta right now is in his grave going, going, wait, I'm number three? What the (laughs) fuck, right? He's pissed. But so they wrestled each other and it was a 60 minute draw. They had a rematch and it wasn't the week after. It was a couple of weeks later, I think through Terry's next swing through the city or through the state. And they wrestled each other. And guess what? 90 minute draw. They had a third match. It was a two-hour time limit. Terry Funk wound up pinning Billy that time. But you had your 60-minute, 90-minute, both draws, and then a two-hour time, li- time limit to decide who the champion is. And lo and behold, Terry wins the title. I would like, instead of an Ironman match, to give these guys a 60-minute draw. I would like to see him go, and we've upped it from the 30 minutes up to 60 minutes and have them go to a draw and then have a third match, put that two hour time limit, whatever you want to do. And at that point, Danielson probably wins the title from Kenny Omega. Maybe not, but I think the chance to do really good booking with these two is there. And this could be the most compelling thing we've seen in quite a while, Jeff. Yeah. And you know, you bring up uh, some good ideas. I I was, (laughs) as you were talking about your idea, I think it would be a good idea if you wanted to up it to a 60 minute, how about you make it a two out of three falls match and have there's no falls uh, going on. And then say about the 58 minute point, uh, Danielson gets a pin. Okay. So now he's got one fall and there's two minutes left in the time limit and they end up going to the full 60 minutes. Danielson gets the one fall, but doesn't win the title because he only got one fall. Then you set up the 90 minute, you know, you see what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and both ideas, I think, are valid. And, and why good. they call you the booker. Well, thank you very, very kindly. So what was the name of the book? They call me the booker. They call me the booker. So and where, can, where can we get this book? Uh, well, you can uh, reach out to me uh, here uh, at the old Breaking Kayfabe uh, page or uh, Scott Teal uh, has his uh, at his uh, his website. Uh, you know, but uh, will, and last question, Jeff, will you have copies of this book in Lutz, Florida in five weeks? As a matter of fact, I just spoke to Scott Teal this week about getting some additional copies for the good folks. So, yes, it will be available, as I like to say, uh, for a nominal fee, a nominal price, uh, autograph copies, of course, additional personalized autographs. <laughs> That's even more, more. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. So let's talk about some of the other things besides the uh, opening sure. match. Talk about uh, Cody. We'll talk uh, about Cody. No, no, we'll get to Cody in a second. All right. I'm going to throw. Oh, by the way, one last mention of the uh, Danielson Omega match. Barry, how much did you pop for the mention first of Gene LaBelle, then Luthez? A yeah. Luthez mention. I was like, oh, that was awesome. They mentioned fucking Luthez. By the way, uh, unbelievably, I've had the book for probably two years. I have finally sat down and started reading Hooker. I've had the book forever. Never got around to reading it. Uh, so yeah, Luke has mentioned, yes, no, absolutely. Uh, so Barry, I'm going to throw a little trivia at you. Uh Uh-oh. One of my favorite wrestlers in AEW that I just love. I love his character. I love, I think right now the best intro, uh, and the best entrance of any wrestler in the business is Malachi Black. What do you think about that? He, I saw Malachi Black when he was, I saw him as Tommy End on the indie scene. And then I saw him in NXT before he was called up to the main roster. Dallas Black, right? 
Alistair Black, and I said, and I remember I said it to Zach, I said, this guy is going to make Vince McMahon a lot of money. And in the infinite wisdom of the WWE, he was brought up, misused, and released. Not devalued. Thank God they didn't have him doing jobs left and right, but he was devalued, and then he was uh, he was released. And AEW picked him up and has made him everything he should have been in the WWE. His matches are great. The way he carries himself, he's almost the equivalent of Britt Baker, the way I was raving about her. There's no flaw in his game. This guy is everything. And the amazing thing is, and, and you sort of referenced it there, he carries himself like a star. Oh, and that's that's so important in getting yourself over. And Britt Baker does that too. And you know, Omega does that, Brian Danielson, you know, to have that it factor, and this guy has quote unquote it. Uh, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, because, uh, you know, I've mentioned before, I, I really don't follow the WWE product, although I'll get to that in a second, Bear. Uh, but you would tell me, oh, there was a really great NXT pay-per-view. Uh, you got to watch it. So I saw this guy on a very limited basis, but I, I wasn't able to, you know, become a big fan because, quite frankly, I wasn't watching the product. However, now that I watch, in a, you know, uh, I'm sorry, AEW on a regular basis, this guy is just Fucking amazing. So now, Barry, trivia time. Do you know the name of the theme song that he comes out to and the group that does it? No, I don't. I don't. It is the black metal band Amon Ra, who I believe is from Belgium. The uh, name of the song, I have no idea what this means. Ogentrust. Sure. And you know what yeah, that means? Of course. Yeah, it means I can't sleep at night and I need melatonin. <laughs> it's the <laughs> Ogentrust. Well, the, the, the yeah. funny thing was, was I reached out to my daughter, uh-huh. member of our Facebook group, by the way, breaking KB yes. about it, Barry, and because she's a big metalhead. Okay. Uh-huh. She's got to like, by the way, she's got to like four concerts in the last eight days. She is like stepping up her game Good for her. And so I said, have you ever heard of this group? Amon Ra, they do like, you know, black, what they call black metal. And she goes, she goes, oh yeah, no, I know who that is. And of course she does. And of course, you know, her old man, like who the fuck is Amon Ra? But the song that he comes out to that you know is so ominous and sort of uh, foreboding, and then you got the guy screaming right as he gets there, and of course he's got that headgear that looks just fucking awesome, and so much you know it it reminds me of when the Undertaker really started getting over, and that music that they played, and then his entrance and stuff like that. Just if Malachi Black as a wrestler sucked, I would still be into the guy just because of his entrance. Thankfully. Once the bell rings, the guy still has it, and he's great. And he's facing off with, uh-huh, we mentioned him, Cody Rhodes. Now, one of the things, and again, here on Twitter, someone was uh, having a discussion, uh, and I will say civilly, with Dave Meltzer about whether or not Cody should be turned. And Dave's argument was Cody shouldn't be turned because it's not whether or not people cheer for him or boo him. They care about him. However, let me disagree with our old Uncle Dave because I think – you know, I, I was thinking about some stuff. Do you remember the story that you have told here about Eddie Graham before he turned Dusty and the fact that Eddie began listening to the crowd and his turn of Dusty was a reaction to what he heard from the crowd? We've heard stories, and we've talked about him here, that the giant Baba gave the win over Jumbo to Misawa uh, because he was listening to the crowd and he knew it was time for, for Misawa to finally get that win. Well, you know what? Sometimes Cody Rose and the people, Tony Khan, they need to listen to the crowd because the crowd does not like Cody, especially this crowd in New York. 
Because you would give me a heads up ahead of time. Oh, they, they, they don't like they Cody. They hated him. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and his wife's coming down. And yep. his wife, she's a, she's a beautiful woman, okay? But I'm sorry. She looked like a stripper in that outfit she had on with the boots that she could barely walk in, the high-heeled boots, okay? And Arn Anderson, a legend. I love the guy. But Arn Anderson, and obviously they're kind of sowing the seeds there, apparently, yes. of a little dissension. I see that. And maybe that'll be what it is that that is the precipitous uh, first time we've ever used the word uh, oh, very good. by the way yeah. uh, of of getting Cody to turn but he needs to turn he needs to turn bad bear he needs to turn quickly and that was very apparent and i i think what bothered me and and i i don't want to say i'm a Cody defender because let's be honest i always feel there there's value in Cody there's not main event value in Cody Cody Based off of everything we've seen, Cody, in my opinion, is essentially a mid-card guy. And because of his position within the company, he's got a great entrance. Everything's happening. Looks like he is uh, either not training as hard. He appeared to be a little flabby and out of shape. Well, he's got a lot of stuff going on in his life. He does, absolutely. And uh, he may not be hitting the gym. He just wasn't in the same kind of shape. And as a wrestler, you know, Cody is limited to some degree, but... The one thing that I got from the other night more than anything else was, and I, I, I almost really hate saying this. I, I feel like you are your father's son at this point. And this is very similar to the way that Dusty, you know, people were, Dusty was getting booed when he was with Crockett and a lot of the cities towards the end when he was working and stuff. It just, fans weren't, uh, they weren't taking to Dusty because the act had grown old and it was, the shtick was old. You get a guy like Malachi Black, and the first thing you, the first feeling you get is this guy's pretty cool. Like this is really cool yes, what we're seeing. And then you get Cody, and you're like, oh, you've got your wife out there with you, and all this. You know, it's like what you know is kiss of death. So I would have to think, in what you just said about Arn Anderson, I'd have to think based off of what we saw, they are definitely laying the groundwork for Cody turning on Arn and turning into a heel. And if they don't do it, you're going to have a much bigger issue because fans didn't just turn on him. It, it was, that was pretty hardcore that, that turn on Cody the other night. And I don't know if that had occurred in the, the months prior because I had stopped watching AEW without having cable. And now I watch it, but literally every time Malachi black did something, the place popped, popped crazy. And then whenever Cody would get any sort of offense and it appeared Cody was going to win, the place erupted in booze. So it's very clear there's no saving this or turning this around. If you're going to keep Cody as an active talent, you have to turn him. Otherwise, you're going to damage the product. Yeah. And, and here's a couple of things real quick. You know, Dusty, when he was getting those boos uh, from our friend uh, John Bruce and Oban at ringside in Greensboro, sure. you know, and they should have turned him. He should have had enough sense because, you know, we've talked about this. Dusty was a very intelligent booker. He did it. There were things he did that were absolutely brilliant and a great job. But one of the things he didn't do was he did not realize when his time had come and yep. ended as the lead babyface, and he needed to. And maybe that maybe. Well, the, can I ask you a question on that, Jeff? Sure. Did Dusty not realize it or did Dusty just choose to uh, his ego had to no, be and that's fair. That's absolutely yeah. fair. And that a little bit what I was getting with Cody is that, you know, Helen Keller, who was blind, deaf and dumb and been dead for 50 or 60. I don't know how long now she knew the other night. This place doesn't like Cody. So there's no way that Cody 
can walk out of there with any sort of justification as to I'm going to put myself over as a baby face. You know, it, it just it can't happen. So somebody's got to do the right thing. And, and whether it's Tony Khan, Cody or somebody else in the back, somebody needs to make this change. And, you know, what I was going to say was maybe when Dusty was starting to hear the booze, when he was getting the negative reaction, I remember famously in the TBS studios, somebody started giving him shit and he like yeah. lost his mind. You remember that? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, so that's on YouTube uh, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the thinking was, well, OK, I'm going to put Magnum T.A. in that spot. He's going to replace me as the lead babyface, and I'll slowly begin working my way down. Maybe that's what his plan was. And then, of course, we had the unfortunate accident. And now Dusty has to put himself back in there. He elevates Nikita into the lead babyface spot, which was brilliant short term. But unfortunately, they termed it long term and it didn't work out. And, you know, when we talk about the great booking jobs of the 80s, you know, one of the one of the guys that I always thought did a fantastic job as a booker was when Bill Watts brought in Bill Dundee. And that's when they did the Midnight versus the Rock and Roll. They had, uh, you know, uh, all the stuff going on, like the last stampede with JYD becoming uh, Stagger Lee. You know, he did a great job. But one of the things that Bill Dundee, and, and let's be honest, Bill Dundee was a great talent in the ring. But one of the things Bill Dundee did, and maybe this was because Bill Watts was keeping him here, he never really went above the mid-card in Mid-South. Right. You know, he didn't put himself at the top of the card. He realized Bill Dundee, as smart as he was, as great a promo man as he was, as great a wrestler as he was, he had his limitations, mainly due to the fact that he was he was not a, a big guy. OK, he was a big talent. He wasn't a big guy, though, physically. And so he, you know, whether it was Watts telling him, look, you can't do this, uh, or whether it was Bill knowing his own limitations within a new territory. I don't know what, but he did a great job as a booker. Now, Dusty, whether it was because of Magnum's accident or what, did not do that. And I think uh, to his, uh, let's see, how, how can I phrase it? It's a negative to me because I think when Dusty finally did turn on the Road Warriors, it was too late. Yeah. No, nobody cared at that point, you know? And it was more of a F you to, you know, the, the suits and TBS than it was, yeah, exactly. this is the right thing to do. And so what I don't think Cody should do is not listen to the fans you know, worry more about his ego and keeping his wife on TV because we we mentioned this before, you know, Dark Journey was a horrible baby face, you know? Yeah. Missy Hyatt was a horrible baby face. She was great as a heel and Dark Journey was great as a heel. Women valets don't work as a baby. Even the girl that is like with Brian Pillman Jr., she's very cute, you know, does kind of a cheerleader gimmick. But why does a baby face need a, a valet or, or a, you know, a manager? No, that's... That's just not good. Arnold Stoland with Bruno Sammartino and Backlund. <laughs> he was effective in his role. But that was 50 stinking years ago, you know? It so, was effective in his role, really, in hindsight. <laughs> let's be honest. They, they, Arnie, they, they, they gave Arnie a job, you know? They gave so, a job. That's it, so yeah. Now, let me mention that I also love Britt Baker. Uh, I oh. love her character. I love her promos. I love her look. I like the two flunkies that she has uh, working with her. Love uh, her. Rebel, not Reba. Is that her name? And, yes. Rebel, and not Reba. Jamie Hader. Jamie Hader. Yeah. And uh, which is a great name, by the way, for, yes. uh, for a flunky. Both great. I love the fact that in the match with um, Ruby Soho, th they had a great verbal interaction with one another the week before, uh, you know, uh, kind of doing a, a almost a hard edge, you know, like uh, cutting a little close to the bone on some of the stuff they said, which is brilliant. But then... They wrestle a very competitive match. Things are looking good. 
And then Baker wins because what you have then was you had an AEW star going over on a WWE star. So that makes AEW's women division look better than the A. And by the way, so now let me move on to this. Okay. So because Barry, what have I always said? You and I are, we're givers to our audience. So I took one for the team, Barry. And actually before I'm breaking kayfabe here to Barry Rose, Uh before we began taping, I had recorded SmackDown and I watched SmackDown. So let me point out the stuff that I thought was good. You're talking about the SmackDown that aired last week? You know, I I didn't record it off Fox. I recorded off FS1, so it might have been a week old. It was the one where the Usos, I believe, attack. What's his name? Big Jeff. They're all (laughs) between us. They're all. Every, and, every and week like, seems uh, like the same. They so have I don't Seth know. Rollins do an approximately 24-minute promo in the ring about how much he hates Edge, which, yes. let me say, the video package they did of his attack on Edge at the big pay-per-view or the big show where he does like he stomps them and uh, they do the stretcher job on Edge, the video was incredibly well done. And, you know, his description of stopping on Edge's head and he said it made the same sound that it makes when you step on a cockroach, that was great. I was like, one great fucking promo. But then you sit there and think, you know, much like I said with the uh, the match with Savage and Steamboat, how, you know, the fact they scripted so much of it sort of is, to me, something I, I have trouble getting past. As I listened to this interview, and I, and I heard that great line about how when I stomped the edge on the head, it reminded me of when I step on a cockroach and you hear that crunch. And I wonder, is that Seth Rollins' line or is that some guy working a back one? Okay, here's a great line, Seth. Uh, use that. You know, or, you know, doing something in his ear going, okay, mention a line about the cockroach now, because I think that'll really get over. And so while that was a great line and there were parts of it were good, the promo went on too fucking long, Barry. Did you see this promo? I did. And it went on way too long. Yes. Yeah. So there were things on the show that I thought were good. You know, the the uh, Becky Lynch promo, uh, that was good stuff. But the women's wrestling I hate to say this is not up to AEW standards, you know, I just don't think, you know, I, and I know, uh, you know, Becky Lynch is obviously a star. Okay. Yes. Do you think, since you watch it more than I do, do you think Becky Lynch and her character is a bigger deal than Charlotte Flair? Yeah, I, I think even currently it is. Becky was arguably the biggest star in the company at one point, male or female. And just before she relinquished her title because she was pregnant with Seth Rollins' child and she left the WWE. She was super over. Charlotte is, Charlotte's never somebody that is a baby face has been super over with the crowd. She is kind of a natural heel. And even as a baby face, I think the fans still recognize that aspect. I do think Charlotte, my opinion, Charlotte's probably a better wrestler and her matches are better than Becky Lynch's. But I think Becky Lynch's an overall package. She's figured out how to connect with the crowd. And isn't that what it's all about? No, and uh, you know, we talked about Malachi Black. I mean, yep. obviously, he's you know, figured out how to connect to the crowd. Well, all and maybe, he was, yeah, maybe he was doing it in NXT, and I just uh, didn't have the opportunity to see it. So I will mention one last thing about the AEW show. Uh, as I was looking at all the signs, and, you know, one thing, there was a guy that was like maybe about third or fourth row that kept holding up a Randy Savage, uh, like uh, uh, there was a picture of Randy Savage and he kept holding it up. And the first thing I thought of was, man, if I'm behind that guy, I'm just going to go, would you sit the fuck down with that sign? <laughs> yes. 
you know, and it wasn't because like, okay, when the guy's walking out to the ring, he holds up the Randy Savage thing. That's fine. But during the match, you got people behind you. Put that in a fucking sign already. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is the best sign that I saw in the entire crowd. I really hope this guy is a listener to this uh, Peabody and Sherman Award winning uh, podcast because I love this sign. Vince fears coherent storylines. <laughs> Boy, did I pop for that sign. That was fucking hilarious. And uh, I, I love that. So now, Barry, why don't we go to uh, our little interview with our old friend, second time guest, official friend of the show, formerly one of the Glamour Gals, it's Judy Martin. Barry, back with us for a second appearance, not just a first time guest, a second time guest, it's wrestling legend, former Glamour Gal, Judy Martin. Judy, how you doing today? I am doing fine. How are you guys doing? We are doing well. It is always a pleasure to uh, to speak with you. We were just talking with, as I said, your friend uh, Robin Smith, Rockin' Robin. And, uh, and Barry, I understand they have an appearance coming up with our friend Nick Massey. Jeff, they don't just have one appearance. The way the captain uh-huh. does it. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, sir. The way the captain does, and especially when he, he's got the Glamour Girls and Rockin' Robin with him. Nick doesn't schedule just one appearance, Jeff. Nick doesn't schedule two appearances. Could, could it possibly be? It could, sir. Three, Three appearances coming up this weekend, which is pretty exciting when you stop and think about it. Nick has creatively uh, called this the Ladies of the 80s Tour, and he is, in, my, in our opinion, Jeff, and I think I speak for you, uh, these are our three favorite female wrestlers of the 1980s. Uh, this Saturday, between 10 and 2, the Holyoke Heroes Hideout. Uh, it'll be uh, so. He, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I take that back. 10-2 being the date. Judy, I'm not that smart. So as you're gonna, as you're seeing right now, it's my cross to bear, Judy. It is. It is. The date is 10-2. However, they are at Holyoke heroes hideout from 11 to one that is in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Then that night they are doing, which would be Saturday night. They are doing a virtual signing happy hour going six to 10 o'clock. That should be fun, Jeff. I know I'm tuning in to watch that. And then on Sunday, and I am going to try to make this event. uh, It's in Albany, New York. It is at the colony center heroes hideout between 12 and 2, which will be Sunday, October the 3rd. Come meet Judy Martin. Come meet Leilani Kai. Come meet Rockin' Robin Smith. You can get photos, autographs. Uh, We have had Judy, as Jeff just said, on the show twice. Why? Because she's a great guest. Uh, You want to meet her in person. You want to be... uh, You want to be in either Massachusetts or Albany this weekend. Jeff, you're in Atlanta, Georgia, but I know if you were closer up here, you'd be with me in my car. We'd be heading up to Albany, correct? I'm just going to say this, and, and I'll ask Judy. Judy, you, Leilani, and Robin together, are you looking to get into some trouble? Because I, I can't imagine you three getting together and not getting into at least a little bit of trouble. Uh, I am sure we will be getting into some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, listen, let me, uh, you know, I was... Uh, Talk, as you said, we were talking to Robin Smith, and when I was looking into uh, some of Robin's background, I discovered, and I don't think we brought up this subject with you when we had you on before, but you had uh, a bit of a lengthy program with Robin when you both were in the WWF, correct? Uh, yeah, I had about uh, probably about a six-month run with her up there. Sure. And up there. did you enjoy working with her? Oh, 
Robin was very enjoy. I enjoyed working with Robin very much and everything. We had a lot of fun while we so, was on the road, you know. Yeah, and so I just got to ask it. She was she was telling us a story about working with Sherry Martell, and I guess Sherry uh, maybe got a little stiff with her, so Robin had to give her a receipt. So, which one of you two, when you were working together, who threw the potato and who had to throw the receipt? Which one was it? I think we throw. I think we both throw potatoes. Gotcha. No, Robin it, was Robin was really easy. He was the person to you know to work with. I don't remember, you know, having any stiff ones from Robin at all. Now she might have had some stiff ones from me. I don't know, but because <laughs> so, I always kind of work, you know. Yeah, this was interesting. We, we we learned something new in our conversation with Rock and Robin Smith today was that. Mula apparently taught her girls to work on the right side as opposed to the left side. And I I had never heard that. And I knew that I know in Lucha Libre in Mexico, they work on the right side. You know, traditionally in the U.S., the men work on the left side. So that was something new that we learned. Uh, how was it for you working? And, and I'm assuming because I know that you've worked in Japan uh, and then, you you know, I don't know. Had, did you ever work Mexico? Uh, yes, I spent a month in Mexico. Oh, you did? Okay. When I first so, started. So you you could work left or right. You could work on either side of the body. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, very yep. interesting. I learned kind of both. I learned learned kind of both ways, you know, because you never knew. Like when I met, went to Mexico, it was like okay. Then when I went to Japan, of course, you know, Japan was a fast pace and everything, and then. When you work around the guys, you see how they work, and then you say, okay, we're doing it all wrong. Let me go to that side. <laughs> so, well, you know, I was thinking as you're getting ready to have this appearance with uh, with Nick Massey and uh, getting together with your old friends, and I'm sure you're going to be telling some uh, some stories and stuff. Do you enjoy getting out there? And, you know, you said they call uh, – Nick calls the tour the ladies of the 80s. Does it kind of warm your heart to see that there are people out there that that still remember Judy Martin, Leilani Kai, and Rock and Robin? Oh yes, it does. I mean, it is very. I mean, it's like I don't know. It's a feeling that you have, you know, that you, that you come out there and you, you see people out there and you go, "Oh, I've seen your matches and this and that." Oh, it's, yeah, it's very nice to know we can still have fans out there to um, that remember. Remember Got us and and some and some of the you know fans can tell you exactly what happened in such and such a match in Ontario or or New York. Yeah, and those are uh, we like to call those crazy fans. With Jeff and I are both crazy fans. We can tell you <laughs> all these little details. So. Something we didn't talk about on the first episode, we did talk about your relationship with the fabulous Moolah, uh, but when the whole thing happened with the title change with Wendy Richter, when Moolah had the mask on as Spider Lady, which would have been, I believe, 1984, were you aware, because uh, there are so many stories about this that that Wendy, it was uh, that, you know, it was basically Wendy had no idea she was going to be dropping the title that night. Mula got in the ring with her. Were you aware of any of that prior to the match taking place? Uh, no. 
I mean, we I knew that we knew that um, Patty um, was supposed to, you know, get the belt later on. I mean, we've heard that rumor and everything like that. It was Patty was supposed to get the belt and everything. Patty, so Patty being Leilani Kai. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, okay. Leilani. Yeah, sure, gotcha. We knew about that, but when the deal came up with Lillian getting the belt back, nobody knew that. And, um, I don't even think Penny knew that either when she was on the road with Lillian. You know, when she was pulling off the spider lady's um, gimmick. So, so well, let me ask you. One of the things that's been in the news recently, and we uh, last week were speaking about it, is uh, there was a, an episode of a show called Dark Side of the Ring, and it had addressed uh, situations that happened on a, a flight, what they call the flight from hell. And I know that you weren't uh, wrestling in the WWF at the time, but as we were getting ready to interview, it made me think that uh, a question for you is, obviously, as a woman in uh, professional wrestling um in the 1980s, you had certain things that you had to deal with. Uh, I don't know if on a daily occasion, but from time to time, uh, you would be faced with a situation where somebody was doing something of an inappropriate nature. Um, I, I guess it's kind of a difficult question to ask, but how tough was it exactly? Uh, not just dealing with what you had to deal with in the ring, but maybe the stuff that went on, the, the nonsense you had to put up with outside the ring. Well, you know, you had a lot. Of, you had a lot of guys. I mean, a lot of guys were very nice and very gentlemen, and you had some that would pull ribs or try to pull ribs on you. You know, like coming in the dressing room nude and everything, and see what you would say, and leaving girls at the arena. <laughs> and um, well, I mean, there's one thing. You know, like leaving somebody at the arena as a rib is a little bit different than walking in the dressing room naked, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they always call it a rib, you know, whenever they do something like that. But I mean, most of the time, most of the time, the girls, you know, when it happened with me, you know, I didn't don't acknowledge it. I didn't acknowledge it, you know. I said, yo, you must hit the wrong dressing room, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one of the things yeah. that uh, one of the uh, one of the ladies talked about uh, as she, you know, Terry Runnels was interviewed and the way that she described it is she was always told when something like that happened to no sell it. So was that kind of your mindset when when something like that happened, yeah. you would just no sell it? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you put them, if you put them over, then they know they had you there, you know, like. They thought they were, you know, did something good. But I mean, it didn't happen that much with me or the girls that I was working with. Like I say, you'd have someone, you know, come in the dressing room and do that. But it didn't happen that much with, with me with me around because I didn't really come out in the dressing room only when time for my match. I would go to ring and work and come back to the dressing room, you know, get dressed and everything and then leave. Yeah. So after you left the WWF, you went to the AWA, which is, uh, you know, I, and I think that was right around 1989, if I'm correct, somewhere right around there. So what was it like? What was it like going from, let's say, the WWF, which was like on fire when you were there, and then you go to the AWA, which is kind of on its last legs, but you're also you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Uh, a legend in Vern Gagne. What were your dealings with Vern like? 
very good. I could say Vern always paid the girls good. In fact, Vern paid your girls better than Vince did. Wow. Wow, really? That's interesting. Yeah. What was it? Was it more that he, he paid you better or he just paid you on time or, or what was it? No, no. The house shows, even the house shows, you know, we, okay, I'll put it to you like this right here. We had did a sellout house where the, um, the two shows they did, they had two arenas, St. Paul and Minnesota. And they did two, sh- they did um, like a video into the other arena. Back then, it's the first time I'd ever known it, that happened back then. And um, we were paid just as much as the, some of the guys were paid. Like we got $1,500 for that night. Wow. Well, that's good on Vern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, great on I Vern. mean, we, I, I had to say, in Vern, we got paid very well with Vern, you know. And um, I've done big shows like with, okay, like the Boston Garden. $250. would <laughs> $300 with Huh. And I'm guessing yeah, the, the, big show, the, the crowd that Vern had was not quite as uh, like a sellout at the Boston Gardens. Right. Well, no, Vern, Vern, those two shows that Vern had would sell out both. St. Paul and Minnesota was sold out at that time, which, you know, I'm sure, you know, we still got paid less than a lot of the guys did, but still it was like, to us, $1,500 was a dang good money for one night. Yeah, no, absolutely. For and that was with four girls. Well, we are with our old friend, Judy Martin. We are thrilled to have Judy back with us for her second We're old. appearance. Judy's young, Bear. No, Judy's younger than we are. You and I are the old farts, Jeff. Uh, Judy's like a kid compared to us. But uh, we, are, we are thrilled. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who's not younger than us at this stage? Uh, Judy is part of, I, I think this is incredible, and uh, the, the ladies of the 80s tour. And you've got, arguably, you've got really three of the biggest names right here. you got Judy Martin, who is our guest, Rockin' Robin Smith, and Judy's old tag team partner in the, uh, the Glamour Girls, which is Leilani Kai. You have three opportunities to interact and meet them this Saturday, which will be October the 2nd, at the Holyoke Heroes Hideout between the hours of 11 and 1 p.m. That night, they will be doing a virtual signing. So if you are not in Massachusetts or New York and you don't plan on driving to either of those states, you can do the virtual signing. Uh, That'll be the Ladies of the 80s happy hour. And Nick always has a lot of fun with these happy hours. That'll take place between 6 and 10 o'clock. I know I am going to try to interject myself, Jeff, into that. Uh, because I want to have some fun. And then Sunday, if you are... Well, wait a minute, I, I just got to ask Barry, if it's going to yes. be a happy hour and you're going to be yes. interjecting yourself, yes. will you be buying the ladies <laughs> of the 80s the first round? I am buying, because it's virtual, Jeff, I'm buying drinks all night. Well, that's so, nice of you. Absolutely. Oh, okay. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. Sunday, see the fun you can have if you meet these ladies in person as well, Jeff. This could be a lot of fun. This Sunday, which would be October the 3rd, the Colony Center Heroes Hideout, 
12 to 2. It's in Albany, New York. Nick has brought a lot of talent through these doors, but I got to tell you, this is this just sounds like so much fun to me. I am going to make every effort to get up there. We encourage all of our listeners, if you can't be there in person and really you really want to try to be there in person, if you can't, Go on to Nick's page, which is the Captain Corner Facebook page. Uh, beginning at 6 o'clock, he will have the live stream. You can purchase autographed photos. The ladies will also inscribe these to you. So you can, you know, Jeff, you could get a photo from, say, Judy Martin. It would say, dear Jeff, why aren't you buying drinks? Love your friend Judy Martin. <laughs> that, that's a, that's certainly something to consider. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, well, Judy... <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask a question that Barry Rose usually asks our guests. Well, I'm going to steal the question and ask for Barry and myself to you. So we like to ask food-related questions, Judy. It's true. And so Barry and I, we've got the Learjet at the airport in your hometown. It's all gassed up, ready to go to any restaurant in the world that you've been to. And I know, as you said, you were in Mexico, you uh, you did tours of Japan, worked all over the United States. Tell me a restaurant that Judy Martin wants the boys from Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry to fly her to. What's the best restaurant you remember ever being to, Judy? Oh, I like the steaks in Japan. It's, really? There's a, yeah, there's a um a steakhouse that all the guys used to go to in um, Japan. Oh, I, I think I cannot, may have been there. I cannot remember the name of that place, but they have good steaks. That's uh, where you're I talking. Like you're talking. Are you talking about Ribera Steakhouse? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. I think I've told the story that I had a jacket from Ribera that I gave away to the girl I was dating at the time. Yeah, Jeff, we all make mistakes. That is an absolutely huge mistake. (laughs) Jeff, did you ever actually eat there? I did. I went there with my friends and uh, it was it was great because, uh, you know, all we had was hibachi food for about a week, uh, which the hibachi food was great. But we were looking for a little change of pace. And so we were brought Mm -hmm. to Ribera Steakhouse. It was absolutely fantastic because you've gone a, a week without having. Uh, a good old American steak, and it was fantastic. And so that's a very good choice. So, Barry, gas up the jet. Me, you, and Judy, we're flying to Tokyo. I we're going to go to Ribera Steakhouse. What do you say? I love it, and I'm starving as we're recording right now, Jeff, so the thought of a big steak. But, Jeff, just because you 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 lifted that question from my, my repertoire How dare of you. questions, I am going to take one of your questions that you Son usually of- ask, but I'm going to put a little twist on it for Judy. So, Judy, you oh, are no. walking down the streets. Let's say you're in Philadelphia, where I currently live. But for some reason, you're in the worst part of Philly. And you see, let's say, three really tough women, four tough women walking your way. Who would you want to have on your side? A female. Who would you say is maybe the toughest woman wrestler that you've ever encountered? Besides yourself, of course. Of course. I would say, I would say Leilani. And Bull Nakano. Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's quite the trio <laughs> right there. So someday I'll have to tell you the Bull Nakano story of, uh, of my running with Bull Nakano, Judy. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, let's just say, uh, I was on an elevator uh, leaving the, uh, 
the show at Corrigan Hall and Bull got on the elevator with her friend and uh, she uh, she made a comment to me of an unsavory nature. Well, to some, it wasn't unsavory to me, but uh, apparently <laughs> Bull was trying to pick me up. But unfortunately, she was speaking Japanese. I didn't realize it. And I've been criticized for it now for, I don't know, 35 plus years. So, Jeff, so I'm just so I'm clear. Bull Nakano was trying to pick you up in an elevator and flirting with you in Japanese. Uh, I was much better looking back then. Okay. <laughs> you were younger, right? Exactly. Yeah, nah. All right. <laughs> well, we just we 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 want to thank Judy once again for joining us. It is her second time. And Jeff, when I left Judy a message yesterday. How many guests have we had more than once? I think it's only three. Yeah, you are joining an exclusive club, yeah. Judy. I hope you can appreciate that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we love you, Judy. But you can meet her again. This will we'll do some more plugs for Captain's Corner, Nick Massey, and the Ladies of the 80s tour this Saturday, October the 2nd, the Holyoke Heroes Hideout uh, from 11 to 1. At night, it is a happy hour taking place. It's a virtual signing. Jeff and I are buying rounds of drinks for everyone. Well, that wait a minute. You said you were buying oh, rounds. I, I pulled I you we're brothers. I pulled you into this. Come on. Uh, that's taking place between oh. 6 and 10. Judy? Well, just let you guys just let you guys know, both of you probably have to buy because you had three of us together. That's yeah. true. You know. Yeah. And Nick just had a baby. I don't know. Judy, did you know Nick just had a baby? Oh, yeah. He told me. So. Yeah. Gorgeous little baby oh, I Dallas. Oh, I guess yeah, he still had to be home early, huh? Well, he is. That's why happy hour is only 6 to 10. It usually goes till midnight. So he's doing 6 to 10. Oh. And then Sunday, your last chance to see the ladies of the 80s. And really, I encourage you. I don't think you may never get this again uh, as fans. If you were a fan in the 80s, we may never get uh, these three women together again this Sunday, which would be October the 3rd. The Colony Center Heroes Hideout, 12 to 2. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do my best to convince Jeff to drive from Atlanta, Georgia, so he can join me. But I encourage everybody. I know Benji Fito is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Rockin' Robin, Leilani Kai, Nick Massey, maybe even the baby would make an appearance, Jeff. You know, who knows? I, I am just going to be, I'm going to, oh, excuse me. I was no, no, to please, Judy, go ahead. All the fans know, please do come out and see us because we do not get together that often. Yep. It's years in between when we get together. So I'll have some old swimsuits for sale. There green jackets. Oh, Mary's probably more interested in the uh, swimsuits, but you know, well, that's I, I, me. I, 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 that's my thing. So, yeah. Judy, I'm just going to warn you: <laughs> if our friend Benji does come out there, he usually brings his son Antonio, who is a a, a young man. Uh, what, Barry? Thirteen? I, I, twelve or thirteen? Yes, yes. Yeah. Known to be flirtatious with the ladies, so he may try to buy a round for you three ladies. I don't know. Okay. Everybody's welcome. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Judy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We had a great time, and we wish you all the best in your appearance with Nick Massey. Oh, thank you for inviting me back again. And I hope to be back on a third time. Okay, we hope so, too. (laughs) Take care, Judy. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Barry, always fun to talk to Judy. We really appreciate our friend Nick Massey giving us access to Judy. 
And uh, always a good time uh, talking to one of Nick's uh, Nick's people, and uh, we really appreciate him hooking us up. Yeah, you know what I like about Judy too, though, is Judy is very she she's laid back. But what a great career she had in the 1970s and 80s. You know, I mean, whether it was over here, whether it was in Japan, and she was from an era where the women were were hard hitting. She's it's a, she's a throwback in a sense, you know, to the way women's wrestling was back then. I really like her a lot, though. So I'm actually I was so super excited when she agreed to be on the show again. Yeah. Yeah. And that reminds me, uh, we were referring to AEW uh, a while ago and, you know, we were talking about uh, the the reference to Luthez and uh, Gina sure. Bell. Well, I don't know if you heard Jim Ross during the Britt Baker match with uh, Ruby Soho. And they were uh, laying up. Yes, he goes, I did. Hey, folks, this is not the fabulous Moolah versus Donna Cristinello. And I popped for that one. When oh, I heard man. That, I I like, what? Wow. Not even the Moolah comment, but the Donna Cristinello. I was like, holy shit. Talk about a throwback to the after magazines. Tony Rose and Donna Cristinello. The, but of the all long the names he could have said, I know. That, was, that, was that was the one. That's, That's awesome. Great. So, uh, hey, speaking of uh, friends of ours, now why don't we go? We had a chance to talk to. Our man, Sweet Lou, no longer Sweet Lou, now Scam Lightly. A Scam Lightly, Lou Kippelman and Roy Lucier. Let's talk a little CAC, Bear. So, Barry, now it is time. We're going to uh, have a little CAC talk as our uh, producer, the sweet man, Lou Kippelman, now known, by the way, as Scam Lightly. T-shirts soon to be available. Uh, and we are happily joined by Roy Lucier, who Barry calls the man who has more cats than any man in California. Roy, how you doing, my man? Can't complain. How you doing? Uh, We are doing well. So let's talk a little CAC. For you, Roy, what was the best part? I know you posted lots of uh, your pictures on social media. I saw you with Ray Mysterio Jr. and other. What was the best part of uh, the CAC week for you? The Lucha Award, by far. Let's just say the Lucha Awards kind of my baby, you know, obviously being a huge Lucha historian, you know, Brian Blair, the rest of the board, like Lucha, like I'm I'm not knocking them, please don't get me wrong, but Lucha, you know, that they're not on the Lucha like I am. Lucha's been my ding for over I don't know years. If a lot of people are, are as much into Lucha as you are, Roy, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, some ideas were thrown. Uh, a year and a half, two years ago, about who should get the Lucha Award. And considering I know Brian Blair's close friends with, uh, you know, people who can make the right call, the right decision within the WWE, I said, well, be honest with you, can we get Rey Mysterio to do it? A couple hours later, Brian called me back and said that his source contacted Rey. Rey was happy to do it. So just to see the whole thing fold out was a... um, a blessing and an amazing time and amazing honor considering I've seen Ray wrestle since 1990, you know, known him since 1993, you know, just seeing that holding unfold was, was really amazing. Not to mention the holding with the um, presenter, by the way, uh, Sam Adonis as um, you know, that, that they were looking for someone to present it, you know, given Sam's, you know, brother is the current announcer for WWE but on top of that, his own career in AAA currently and all the things that he's done, I pitched the idea to have Sam present Ray with the award. So to see someone who's pretty much nearly my best friend in the business, you know, present Ray with the award, 
was, you know, just, it had me in happy tears on the side, you know, while I was producing it to really see all that unfold. So of, of, every, of everything, I would say the Lucha Award, you know, also seeing, seeing friends there, you know, Kurt Myers, Sam Adonis, uh, Carmine, uh, Barbara Goodish, a lot of people like that, that, you know, I've known for a long time. It's always great to run into them and see them and, and everything. Uh, just the whole event unfolding. It, it's always an amazing time and a great time. Something I'd really recommend people, you know, tr- try it once, give it, give it a try, see what you like about it. You know, if you don't, thank you for attending, you know, just, I, I really recommend people, you know, came to CSC at least once in their lives. Jeff, trivia note as well. Sam Adonis is the guy who did the wrestling masks for us at our first event, which was the replica of the assassin mask and the replica of the saint mask. And we actually went through Sam Adonis. So a little trivia. trivia. Right. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, So my question is for my brother from another mother, Sweet Lou. So Sweet, uh, first time ever attending a CIC event. I remember my first time, and I got to tell I you, I bet Lou, you do. Yeah, oh, and it was Jeff. What <laughs> what a first time it was! But Sweet Lou, first time going to a CAC, and also post COVID, which certainly is uh, changing things a bit. So, Lou, what is the one thing about this event for you that really stands out? Oh, I you know I gotta say for me it's the camaraderie. Having been producing for Arcadian Vanguard coming up on three years now, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the community virtually. But uh, I flew in the night before day one, and it was about midnight, Sunday night, Monday morning, and I check into the room. I I, I say, okay, let's uh, see if anybody I recognize is in the casino. First guy that I see. Roy Lusher. And I just <laughs> come up everywhere. And, I just come up and introduce myself and he gives me a bro hug like uh we were long lost friends. And then uh Roy was talking to the esteemed Mr. Despirito. So that's I I got to meet him, another Facebook virtual friend. And then yeah, meeting up with all these people from the different circles here, Dan Farron. Jim Valley, Brian Solomon, Al Gitz. What Al wants, Al Gitz. Oh, most yep. certainly. You see what I did there, Barry? I did. And you know what? Al Gitz has been at, I think, two of our fan fests down in Florida at the CWF Legends. Of course, Al Gitz, a pseudonym. I will not reveal or break kayfabe on that. Uh-huh. But uh, was my question about Al, and Lou, this is directed at you, better outfits Roy Lucier or Al Getz? Oh, Roy, one hundred percent. That go. was it. That was a good looking suit, Roy. I got to give yeah. you that one hundred percent fashion play. Oh. You, you know what's funny is I went into the tuck shop like three weeks ago, a month ago, and um, I go in there and the ladies like what are you looking for and all this stuff, and you know she's showing me the typical, you know like you're going to the prom type stuff. And I was like, Oh, you don't get it. I'm going to be in front of a bunch of people. I want it as loud as possible. So yeah, I went with the Michael Jackson glittery shoes, uh, you know, as bright, bright blue as I can get, you know, I just, I'd wanted to do something to stand out. You know, the last CAC I wore the, 
the bright red one, uh, kind of inspired by a Jerry Lawler Hall of Fame one from a few years ago. And then with this one, I was just like, you know, let's do something similar and even more extravagant, you know. And a lot of it, too, was, you know, I've lost 55 pounds since the last TAC. So I, I had to go get a new tux anyway. So. Yes, I did see the photos of Roy's weight loss. I will give you, Barry, can you join me? A round of applause for Roy for his efforts in dropping the big LBs. My question, the next question is for you, Mr. Kippelman. I know that we may have mentioned before you left that there would be some, oh, some people of sketchy backgrounds doing things that may or may not be legal in every state in these beloved United States. But mm-hmm. what was the, uh, <clears throat> what was the strain of choice? Uh, not for you, of course, <laughs> you work for the Arcadian network and would never do such a thing. And Roy, Roy is a God fearing Christian man, but was that part of the activities without mentioning names? Was there various strains going around the hotel in Las Vegas? Yeah, as a guy repping the Arcanian Vanguard brand at CAC. <laughs> Brian Laugh would not have wanted you to do something that would have violated a law in right. uh, you know, Texas. I, I had to keep myself purer than Caesar's wife. Uh, yes, of course. But, yeah, that's a funny thing, because Kurt Brown didn't make it this year. Yeah, well, uh, so the intake was way down. Exactly. So, the you know, the hardest thing that... I encountered was at the TGI Fridays at the Gold Coast had me uh, a Long Island iced tea. So oh, I, 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 you know, or, let, or maybe let's just say, but let's say, by the way, uh, Kurt Brown was there in spirit because his smoking buddy who shall remained um, his, uh, dispirito was there and, uh, his, uh, that person, uh, did enough for both him and Kurt. <laughs> and it's amazing uh-huh. that all that was happening and Howard Baum wasn't there. So, yep. you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that is too. Yeah, so that takes down the vice ratio about 75% there. At least. Yeah. And I got to say, as somebody uh, that has been to a dispensary in every state where it's legal, with the exception of, I guess, Alaska, I've never been to. But when I went to Vegas, I, I went to a place called, was it Planet 31 or something like that? I think you have it, uh, the numerals reversed. I think it's Planet, Planet 13. 13. Yeah. Uh, and I'm dyslexic, so that makes perfect sense, Lou, that I would do that. Well, there uh, you go. Way overpriced is what I thought about uh, Nevada. And generally, it's the uh, the tax that's put on by the state. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of prefer both your home state of California is my favorite, followed by Colorado. Roy, I've got a question for you. And uh, I, sure. I know that you are a faithful listener of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Never miss an episode. And and it, as such, one of our big things is we discuss food a lot. And Vegas, to me, is such a great city. The food's expensive for the most part. But uh, you have so many fantastic options, and all these national chains always converge in Vegas. But then you've got the smaller chains, such as a place like uh, Portillo's, uh, which I don't think is out in Vegas yet, but I, I believe it's actually coming. But food is so important, and we talk about food. Give me a, a highlight, a food highlight for you when you're out at the CAC. Well, the buffet shut down because of the virus issues. So to me, if the, if the buffet was open at, at the Gold Coast, that would have been my uh, food of choice. For the most part, it was 
Subway. Uh, actually, and, and by the way, I know the last two times I was at CAC, I didn't even leave. This time around, myself and Kurt Meyer and Dan Murphy uh, actually went out for a while and went clubbing over at uh, oh, Harris and went to go see some live bands and stuff. But uh, I don't even remember the name of the place, but there was like a, a legitimate Mexican food place oh. over by the Pinball Hall of Fame that uh, a friend of mine we, we drove to. But other than that, since there was no buffet, it was mostly just Subway and uh, TGI Friday's chicken salads, to be honest with you. Well, Barry, you, I'm just going to say. I know what you're Roy, saying, Jeff. Roy's <laughs> answer of Subway is probably <laughs> the most disappointing. And Roy, you'll like this. The most disappointing yes. food-related answer to a question since Dave Meltzer's appearance on our show. Oh, and, yes. And, and Roy, yes. Dave Roy, Olive Garden Meltzer. <laughs> yes, sir. It was Olive Garden. And, and I know Jeff and I were texting each other going, did he really just say his favorite restaurant's Olive Garden? <laughs> oh, my God. Roy, was was Mrs. Lucier with you out out in Vegas? No, no, no. Uh, she stayed home this time. Just someone had to more, watch the cats. We kind of, yeah, someone's got to watch the cats. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I FaceTimed with them every day. Well, so it's not like, yeah. You don't, you don't want them to feel like they're alone. Yeah. So no, on, absolutely me, not. They're my baby. Let me let me put this question out to Roy, Lou, and to Barry. What? Uh, so Roy mentioned that because of the uh, the COVID and all that kind of stuff, some of the restaurants not open as they usually would be. But gentlemen, in your prior experiences in Vegas, which hotel in Vegas had the best buffet? Roy, I'll go to you first. I don't have a lot of experience. I mostly did the Gold Coast one. Okay, so, so you'll I, say Gold I Coast. probably wouldn't be the right person. I'll probably give a Meltzer-type answer and bore the, bore the crowd. <laughs> all the first Wait, are you <laughs> saying Meltzer bores people? Roy, how dare you? <laughs> Lou, what would your answer be? Yeah, I would say in a descending order, uh, number one would be the buffet at The Win. That was exceptional. I'm not sure what its status is nowadays. Number two, at the Cosmopolitan, uh, located in City Center, they have a uh, buffet called Wicked Spoon. And, yeah, I I give it high marks as well. Uh, Number three, the Bellagio. All right. Barry, what do you Absolutely. got? Absolutely. So for me, it, it, it's uh, it's an easy one. I'm going to and, say. And Barry, Steve, by the way, Roy could go 20 deep on this answer. And I and Jeff, be prepared because I'm about to. So uh, for me, it's going to be Caesar's Palace. I'm going to tell you why. First off, Caesar's has two fantastic restaurants, Jeff. One being Rayo's, which is the uh, the chain. A chain. It's not even really a chain, but it's the uh, an outpost of the real famous New York restaurant, Italian restaurant allegedly at one time run by uh, family members connected. Well, now that's just allegedly, 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 but the food, Jeff, the chick parm and the pasta alla vodka off the charts. They also have a Joe's stone crabs, which I know you're familiar with that girl being in South Florida for years. Joe's is super expensive, but if you like stone crabs, and I could live on stone crabs. Fantastic. However, their buffet, they have an all seafood buffet mm-hmm. at Caesars. And I, I forget my company picked up the tab. Super expensive. Not a place I could ever afford on my own. But we're talking snow crab, Alaskan king crab, 
giant prawns, top of the line, top shelf seafood, fantastic, super pricey though. And food always tastes better. I'm sure all of you will agree with this, uh, mm-hmm. with me on this. Food always tastes better when someone else is picking up the tab. Oh yeah, that goes with that. Oh place. yeah. So I'm gonna say, I, I'm gonna say, my wife and I, uh, w- when we went out there on the <clears throat> the honeymoon, of course, we stayed at Caesars. Caesars, great buffet. Uh, Bellagio, great buffet. Uh, and Bellagio, of course, while we were out in Vegas. Uh, my brush with greatness. Elevator door opens up. Uh, I don't know, Roy, if you've ever heard this story. Mike Tyson comes walking out, uh, and I have a little conversation with Iron Mike. That was kind of interesting. So, oh, wow. what is the other? Uh, give me some of the other names, not the Luxor or what? What, what are the on the strip there? Give me some of the other hotels because the one I'm thinking of that had the best is one of the main hotels. Give me some other names. The Rio is pretty close to uh, Gold Coast. So well, the Rio, they have a buffet. That, that's not the one. It's on the uh, strip. Yeah, there, if it? you're talking on the strip, let's go from south to north. Okay. So we got uh, Mandalay Bay. That's the one. Thank you. Mandalay Bay, when we went there. <laughs> nice uh, job, Lou. Oh, thank yes, you. Very good. That's why he's the executive producer. <laughs> First that shot. Beautiful. I'd ever been to was at Mandalay Bay. Absolutely amazing. Did not have the brush with greatness like we did with Iron Mike, but... I would say Mandalay Bay would be my choice. Barry, have you ever eaten at Mandalay Bay? I have not, Jeff, but now it's on my list. Thank you very much, yes. Uh, And I remember uh, reading recently that you want to take a trip out to Vegas because I think there was another restaurant that was opening up out there, but I digress. So uh, your experiences, uh, both of you, obviously very positive uh, with the CAC, would I say? Always, yes. Uh, Yes. And Lou? No, and, and whenever there is something like negative that comes up or an issue or something like that, I know Brian Blair was not in the greatest to help. I mean, he's like six weeks out from major back surgery and, you know, the issues with, you know, Paul Wonder passing away, not to mention his son being murdered the day of his back surgery, which, you know, still is uh, unsolved, by the way. Uh, there's only been one arrest in regards to it. But, you know, you, you catch Brian, you know, and let him know, hey, this is going on. I really don't think X, Y, and Z, you know, this seems to be going on. He's always willing to get a hold of the people that make the situation right. So, I mean, that's one thing about CEC that I always, you know, am, am proud of that uh, you got people that are always like quick to help out whenever there is a situation going on. Yeah, and Barry and I had, uh, we spoke uh, before about uh, the fact that this is, uh, this has not been a good year for uh for Brian Blair, certainly. No. So, uh, so I, I, Lou, yeah. your experiences at CAC, very positive. You'll be going back uh, to future uh, CACs? Yeah, I'm hoping to. Yeah, between the uh, sort of panel discussions, uh, the first one was a, a, a very informative one on independent promotions. And it featured the notorious Joel Goodhart from Philadelphia, uh, Herb Sibbins, who's uh, promoted in the St. Louis and Southern Illinois area. For he clo- is, in fact, from Belleville, Illinois. Shout out to my friends Mona and Jim Fishbine. I, of course, graduated from Belleville, Illinois, so I'm just going to give Herb a shout out. Okay, Luke, please continue. Yes. Uh, yeah, who's been promoting there for almost half a century now. And, in fact, I got to meet his ring announcer and uh, also office worker, Drew Abenhouse, who is a big breaking kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry fan. What? What? Well, huh? yeah. shout out we to like this guy. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. Best yeah. Disney promotion I've ever seen. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It, quite good. Yeah. Carmine Despirito was there as well. I and... think someone mentioned him previously in spirit. 
<laughs> or or spear ribs. Thanks for getting what, that joke, what? Roy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry, Lou. Who else? Oh, good lord! It was a. I, I think it was four people on the panel, but I'm I'm stuck on the four. Good heart, Sheldon Goldberg. Sheldon Goldberg from uh, New England. Sheldon yeah. Goldberg. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was yeah that was a great panel, and then there was also a panel with Jim Valley talking to a contemporary wrestler named John Schuyler, who just recently, uh, I think, signed a contract with Impact. So yeah, it was yeah. A, a very good discussion on what it takes to thrive as a worker in today's business. So between those and then the the couple of nighttime functions being the Bachwinkle baloney blowout and the and the main event, the banquet, uh, was very, very cool. Lots of really uh, deserving honorees. And also, of course, the nostalgia room where you get to roam around and uh, press a flesh, buy some stuff if you're so inclined. I got to uh, got to talk with the man, Sean Rezzi. Always a, a good conversation with him. And... Yeah, and I got to talk to Lynn Denton, a former guest on Breaking Kayfabe. Amen. Very well. Excuse me, excuse me, Lou. Uh, Lynn Denton uh, coming soon to Lutz, Florida, Barry? Oh, absolutely. Coming up on what? November the 6th. <laughs> you see how we just you know, <laughs> transition? <laughs> coming up, CWF Legends Fan Fest 7 taking place Saturday, November the 6th in the beautiful Tampa suburb of Lutz. At a hotel that we can never figure out. It's something like Marriott Residence in at Cold Point North. I don't know. North anyway, Point. Suncoast Highway. That's it. That's it. But uh, Len Denton, the the grappler, uh, the dirty white boy, will be doing Lou, his one-man show. Oh. And then, oh, yeah, one-man show and a Q&A with the fans. Very excited about that. He will be doing our after-party event. So I encourage you all to get your tickets. Lou, will you be coming down to Lutz to see Lynn Denton's one-man show? It's only fair, Lou. Right, Ryan. Uh, if only I he's could. Gonna, he's going to be speaking to Mrs. Kippelman. Is okay. <laughs> <laughs> you and Roy get in the car. You start <laughs> exactly. driving. You guys will be fine. Yeah, as soon as we stop recording, I'm going to hop in the car. And... <laughs> it's a long trip. It's a long trip. I, yeah. I do want to say before we wrap up the segment that uh, you did mention a name. Uh, we talked about Brian Blair having a tough year. You mentioned the name Jim Valley, and Jim has had a, a rough year. He is, however, making a, a good recovery. And so uh, we here on Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, not just Barry, but Lou and Roy, uh, I'm sure we all want to send our good wishes out to Jim and continue, continue recovering from that uh, little thing that bit you over the last year. And uh, we're in your corner, buddy, and get better and keep uh, improving. So, Barry, what do you say we go for the old go-home on this segment? Roy, we appreciate you joining us and uh, you and Lou talking a little CAC with us, my man. Anytime. That's what I'm here for. Uh, anything I can do, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My Twitter uh, inbox is always open. I'm at uh, Roy Lucier, R-O-Y-L-U-C-I-E-R still going through tens of thousands of DVDs, putting up stuff all the time up on Twitter. Even right now, I found some unseen Coquina Yokozuna stuff from late 1991 in Mexico, and I'm putting it up on my Twitter right now. So 
Anything yes, I will say that Roy Roy always puts great stuff on Twitter, uh, the Lucha stuff and everything, uh, some stuff from Japan. Always uh, great content, and Roy's a great follow on Twitter. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Very always good to have our friend Roy, uh, the, the king of the cats uh, in South Florida, as you like to always call him. Uh, you know, so uh, and uh, along with Sweet Lou, a little CAC talk. I know. Uh, you know, as they mentioned, uh, we didn't have any Howard Baum out in Las Vegas, no Vandal Drummond. So I'm sure that they will hopefully uh, make it to the next CAC event out in Vegas. So, Barry, as we begin starting to uh, round the corner and head for home, I mentioned to you the other day that I had a chance to watch, oh, Barry, what can only be described as a cinematic classic, Unholy Rollers with Claudia Jennings. And you uh, you gave me a little background on Claudia Jennings. But before we get to that, let me just give people the background. That movie came out about 1972, 73-ish. Claudia Jennings, uh, former, was she a Playboy Playmate of the Year or just of the month? I think of the month, and I don't know, did that come before she started making movies or after? But I know that she's in Playboy because I, I've seen the episode. I've seen the the issue, Jeff. I bet you have. Well used, yeah. I'm guessing. Oh, but, um, yeah. so lots of pages having problems being torn <laughs> apart. But anyway, no, actually, I can tell you, I believe she was a Playmate, uh, I want to say 1969-ish. Well, then she got into the movies. movies. Yeah. yeah. Now, the interesting thing about, about this movie, of course, is uh, there was a movie with Raquel Welch. Uh, I believe it was called, was it Roller Queen? Kansas uh, City Bomber. Kansas City Bomber. That's right. Yeah. And maybe it was uh, subtitled uh, Roller Queen. But anyway, it was about Raquel Welch being a roller derby uh, queen and uh, a, a great bad movie. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but this movie, which apparently they were both racing to get out first right. to uh, get on the roller derby bandwagon, which... There is no more roller derby bandwagon, uh, Barry, but right, you have to understand, roller, I was explaining it to my wife. When I was a kid, like 10, 11 years old, and I would go visit my grandmother in South Carolina, who was a big wrestling fan, uh, she and my grandfather both, roller derby was another weekend staple. And it was always the LA T-Birds, and uh, I, I can't remember who the other team was they faced off with. Uh, I, I didn't San, I think San Francisco had a team. I think it was the Bombers, wasn't it? Yeah. Out of San Francisco? There was a team, I think, they were the Heels. New yeah. And there was like New York had a team or something like that. And there were, you know, because I, I know Melcher was a huge, huge mark for roller derby. Sure. And he was uh, the, there were the roller it was a roller derby. Then there was the offshoot, uh, sort of the AEW of roller derby, which was the roller games. And so that, that was more uh, not quite on the level of the actual roller derby. But anyway, so. Um, <clears throat> so anyway. In this movie, Claudia Jennings plays a woman. It's actually very funny. She works at a cat food factory <laughs> and she, she cans cat foods and her boss comes on to her. She gets very upset. She quits her job. She's looking for a job and she sees a uh, sign uh, auditioning for roller derby. She goes out there. She tries out for the roller derby. She's a really good looking woman uh, because let's be honest, Claudia Jennings was a very attractive woman. She's and so and she could skate. So they begin pushing her much like a wrestling company as the new lead baby face of the team. Okay. And what happens is the woman that has been the lead baby face uh, on the team kind of starts getting pushed down the ladder and gets very resentful of that. And she ends up switching and going to what you would describe as the heel team. Okay. For this uh, particular movie. But what's great about the movie is a couple things. Number one is the comparisons between the roller derby as presented in this movie and pro wrestling is just, it couldn't be any more obvious, Barry, because the guy that is the promoter of it, very Vince McMahon-esque, you know, and they're like, he knows, uh, you know, they, they have a script, 
you're expected to follow the script. If you go off the script, if it's deviated from what I want, you know, you catch holy hell and you'll get fired. And then the way that uh, they kind of start manipulating storylines, if somebody's getting a little off the page uh, and the way that, uh, you know, that there's trouble in the locker room when she starts getting her big push, the resentful people in the locker room who go after her physically and attack her, there are a lot of parallels. And I got to be honest with you, I saw the Raquel Welch movie and I enjoyed it, but I thought as far as telling some of the down and dirty details of roller derby and the comparison between roller derby and pro wrestling, it, it couldn't be any more obvious, Bear. Yeah, and Claudia Jennings, too. We we get into the Claudia Jennings. She was so beautiful, and there was this... If you've never seen her, I mean, she she died, I want to say, early to mid-70s. I forget. 79. No, was 79, right. So she... Uh, and I think her career at that point was probably even slowing down a little bit because most of her movies seemed to be the first half of the decade. She was... Uh, was it an automobile crash, yes. Jeff? It yes. was. Yeah, and it was... Uh, and I know she she was in a bunch of movies. They were mostly low budget films. She was known they were the as kind the, of movies you'd see on Cinemax back in the day. <laughs> yeah, her nickname at the time she was the Queen of the Drive-In, is what they would call her because most of her movies were these low budget B films that you would see at a drive-in. But I, I she might have was she in Death Race two thousand? I think she was. I think she was with David Carradine in Death Race two thousand. That was Stallone was also in. Stallone's got a really small part in that. So she made a, bu a bunch of these movies. Usually it was with like New World or one of the budget companies worked with Roger Corman a lot. Paul Bartel, who I have spoken about previously, had worked with her. I don't think she would have ever been a big star, but she filled the niche. And I got to tell you, there was something about her that she was so fucking hot. I mean, she was just and she was beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but it was more. It was, I guess, the way her overall presence, super smoking. The movie is, and I think I described the movie to you. It was something like, "What a terrible movie!" And my God, is it wonderful? And uh, yes, this and that, is definitely an example of bad cinema that you enjoy because it's bad. Yes. And you do when you're look. You're never really bored. It moves, but look, they they were making these films on like two hundred thousand dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> So there wasn't a lot of money that goes on. And Claudia wasn't, uh, you know, she wasn't Catherine Hepburn uh, or Betty Davis by any stretch either. But her movies are super watchable. And this one, the storyline is bizarre. Cat Food Factory? <laughs> yes. Uh, like, you know, which I got to give him credit for originality, though. Cat Food Factory? That's she like. She quits her job by. Uh, who comes by, up with that? By opening one of the cans of cat food and smearing the cat food in her boss's face. Which that is, is that that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, I think she was in one of those cheerleader movies of the early 70s also. So, uh, not to interrupt, she was not in Death Race uh, 2000. She was in a movie called Death Sport. Death Sport, thank you. Okay. So, let, let me read off some of the uh, her credits here. She was also in the Great Texas Dynamite Chase. Uh, she was in, uh, let's see here, uh, an episode of Cannon with the great William Conrad. Oh. Uh, the FBI with Efren Zimbalist Jr., she was in, I love this title, Truck Stop Women. Yeah, 1974 is <laughs> great Truck Stop Women. And 1973, Gator Bait. <laughs> That's right. You, you know the title like that. Oh, she did a Barnaby Jones also. So, yeah. The other thing I, I do want to mention just before we uh, we move on from this movie, which it, it's out there on TCM, and, and I think it's also available maybe on Amazon Prime you can get it. It's an hour and a half, and you'll sit there and you think, 
what the fuck did I just watch? But but it's so much fun. Uh, if you're into that kind of thing, there uh, the boobs do make a few appearances. I will say that. What uh, it wouldn't be a, do? Yeah, yes. you know, it wouldn't be a Claudia Jennings movie without a couple of boob shots. That's right. But one of the people that's in the movie, when, when I was looking at the, you know, I'm like, okay, let's see who's in this movie with her. And I'm scrolling. I'm really not seeing anybody that is super familiar. There's a couple character actors that you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that guy on TV a few times. But then as I got further and further down, all of a sudden I see this name pop up and I go, wow, what the fuck is she doing in there? Literally an hour and 15 minutes in the movie, okay? There's a scene where she goes to visit her mom. And her mom is played by the great, and Barry, I think you will agree with me, the great Kathleen Freeman. Kathleen Freeman, of course, was the nun in the Blues Brothers who sent Jake and Elwood on their assignment uh, to get money for the church. Uh, and she was, uh, I can't remember what her name was, but she had the ruler and she you know, used it like a sword. She was, she was fantastic. She was the penguin. penguin. That's what yeah, she was. Yes. yes. And she was a regular on Hogan's Heroes, which, of course, I loved uh, as uh, General Burkhalter's sister, Gertruda. And But she was in a zillion movies. And she's always fantastic. But what I loved about this performance by Kathleen Freeman, so Claudia Jennings pulls up to the hotel, I think, that her mom runs. Kathleen Freeman, much longer hair than I've ever seen her with, hanging down. She's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth like Keith Richards playing guitar for the Stones, okay? And she she walks up and she goes, oh, hi, Mom, how you doing? What are you doing here? And she goes, oh, I thought I'd come and see you and give you some money. What do I need money for? I, I got, my, uh, I got my, uh, my drinks in the house and I got my TV to watch my programs. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I thought maybe you want to buy yourself a nice dress. What do I need a dress for? I got all I need right here. And literally, within a minute after that, Claudia Jennings get in the car, and she drives away. I'm like, what, a, what did Kathleen Freeman need a payday? Like she did, Or was she doing a favor for somebody? I'd love to know the backstory. as Because she's literally on the screen, maybe 90 seconds. And well, she got, yeah, go but you know what? There's a great chance. So it, it, if that film if shot in Los Angeles or California... Somebody makes a call to Kathleen. Hey, Kathleen, we need you for like it, like an hour, and we're gonna pay you a thousand dollars, maybe yeah, even no, cash. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get in the car right now, and I'll be right over." <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, sure. What she's the like, fuck? "Oh, I'm gonna pay my make my car payment for the there month." There you or go. Something. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, but Kathleen Freeman just uh, so special. So anyway, on that note, uh, Barry, about ready for the old go home here to this uh, episode. It's been a fun one, Jeff, but I guess it's that time. Yes, it is. Four years, four glorious years. And, you know, here we're talking Claudia Jennings. We're talking, we don't just stick to wrestling, Barry. Oh, oh you see what I did there? Ooh, so anyway, on behalf of our producer, scam likely Luke Hippelman out in the city by the bay, back from CAC where he had a great time. And my co-host, Lord Barons himself, Barry Rose in uh, Plymouth Meeting. Is it Barry? It is Plymouth Meeting. Sir. I finally remembered it. I am Jeff Bowden. They call me the booker. Thank you, everyone out there who has listened to one of our podcasts and our episodes or bought one of my books or gone to the Fan Fest. Four years, Barry and I love what we do, and we want to thank you all so very much. On that note, Lou, take it home.